Well, today we celebrate the second Sunday of Lent, of course, but um, that is only because Sunday always takes precedence over a feast day, uh, even an important feast day. Today, of course, is March 17th, the Feast of St. Patrick, which I happen to have a special um, love for St. Patrick. He's my confirmation saint, my patron, and uh, also the reason I'm Catholic is because my mother is an Irish Catholic, and St. Patrick was the apostle to the Irish um, at the end of the 4th century, the beginning of the 5th century, the 300s and 400s, St. Patrick um, was from England, and according to his own testimony, his confessions, his autobiography, he was captured by pirates when he was 16 years old and made to be a slave in Ireland, just across the, the sea from England, where he lived. Um, and there he was forced to tend sheep or to care for animals. And finally escaped on a ship back to England, re, uh, reconnected with his family, became a priest, and then had a vision of the Irish, uh, the same people who had enslaved him and treated him quite badly. He had a vision of this Irish man calling for him to come back to announce the gospel. The Irish at that time were polytheists. They, they were pagans, basically. Um, and so he courageously went across the sea again uh, to the place where he had been a slave and announced the gospel, became the first bishop of Ireland. Um, and there's all sorts of mythology around him driving the snakes out of Ireland. could be symbolic of, of the uh, evil, the demons and spirits that they worshipped at the time instead of uh, the true God. And Anyway, St. Patrick is a great hero of mine. We don't just, you know, people wear the green beads and the hats and get drunk and everything on St. Patrick's Day because they think it honors the Irish. But in fact, St. Patrick was not even Irish. He came from a foreign land to announce the gospel to the Irish, which is why the Irish love him. Um, and other nations that... Uh, were beneficiaries of Irish missionaries, like Nigeria. He's the patron saint of Nigeria, for example. Uh, Irish missionaries were instrumental in spreading the gospel to um, that part of Africa. So uh, I have this statue of St. Patrick here, and actually the, a relic of St. Patrick, a piece of his bone. Um, so we're talking 1,600-year-old piece of bone, uh, which is here on the altar with us today. This priest who, who announced the gospel so long ago to the peoples is still with us today. Um, in spirit and in the, in the liturgy of the Eucharist, but also physically in this relic. So uh, at the end of Mass, I'll have a, a chance to bless you all with it, and if you'd like to come up and venerate St. Patrick, you're welcome to do so. We have this great reading today of the Transfiguration. Um, such an important event in the life of Jesus, and especially of Peter, John, and James, these three important apostles. But for myself, I, I have my own uh, kind of experiences of the Transfiguration that have stuck with me my whole life. One was, um, I was not always intending to be a priest. When I went to college, I wanted to, uh, I was studying biochemistry. And my freshman year, I got this fellowship. So I got to stay in Champaign for the summer and work in a lab all summer. And I was with this group of, of friends who were also biochemistry and chemistry majors. And um, we were all part of this fellowship. And it was a great time. And I was really excited about my major and excited about my field of study and going to grad school and getting a PhD and all that stuff. Well, the second summer after my sophomore year, I didn't get a fellowship, but I, had to get a, I got a job in a lab, a, a bigger lab, kind of a, a, a more responsibilities, a harder job. And, but I was by myself. I didn't have that same group of friends. I was living at the Newman Center, um, but I was basically just by myself all summer. It was a little bit lonely. But at the same time, I had started to kind of think about the priesthood as an option. It never had occurred to me, but now I was 20 years old, and I was starting to think about it a little bit more. I was attracted to it. I was starting to go to daily mass, pray every day. And this priest gave me an album. He gave me a CD. Sufjan Stevens' Seven Swans. I don't know if you've ever heard this album, but it came out when I was in college. Um, 
He's one of my favorite artists, has become one of my favorite artists, but this, I'd never heard of him before. And uh, he's sort of a Christian, a lot of his, his music has Christian uh, elements to it, but he's really just like an indie rock, um, pretty unique. He plays banjo and there's oboe and all sorts of cool instruments in his music. But I listened to this CD while I was working in the lab by myself one night, changing around some bacteria culture or running some chromatography thing. And uh, I had this headphones on, this dorky like early 2000s disc man and headphones and everything. And I was listening to this uh, album, and the last song on the album is The Transfiguration. And what Sufjan does basically is just retell it in this melody, retell the story of Peter, James, and John going up the mountain to pray, falling asleep, waking up, seeing Jesus surrounded by Moses and Elijah, Peter offering to make the tabernacle, saying, it's good that we're here, we want to stay here, let's make three houses for you guys, and we can just hang out here in this beautiful place. Jesus' clothes becoming dazzling white, the cloud coming and overshadowing them, and then there's this chorus at the end as the banjo and the oboes and the flutes and everything like kind of just kind of build up into this big crescendo. And it just repeats, lost in the cloud, son of man, son of God, lost in the cloud, have no fear, we draw near. And he just kind of sings the same thing over and over again. And there's something so beautiful about that song. I just had it on repeat for a really long time. And there was something growing in my heart at the time uh, that eventually did lead me two years later to, to really decide to go to the seminary. And then two years after that, I uh, was at this summer program in Omaha doing this kind of retreat spirituality summer, 10-week program. And it was there that I really had an experience of Christ that led me to say, I do want to be a priest. This is not just a feeling I have. This is not just some like, inclination that maybe this is for me. I, I met Jesus in a way that transformed me and said, I'm going. I'm, I'm going to do this. Unless you give me some obvious sign to the contrary, I want to be a priest. And I was just so filled with hope and joy and love and, and gladness. And as I got back in my, this little uh, S10 truck, this little red pickup truck, and I got in my car from Omaha, got back on the I-80 to get back to Chicago, drove through Council Bluffs, Iowa, and there's this kind of hilly part of Iowa. It's like the one part that's kind of exciting about Iowa. And I had this song on in my car, and the, uh, Lost in the Cloud, Son of Man, Son of God, Lost in the Cloud, have no fear, we draw near. And it was like, I just started like yelling. <laughs> I was so enthused. I was so f- full of life and, and, and comfort that God was close. And I guess what I, what I realized about the story of the transfiguration is what Peter, James, and John saw, why Peter wanted to stay there, I think, is because what he realized is this is what it's like when Jesus prays. When the Son talks to the Father and the Father talks to the Son. When the transcendent God who is higher than the highest heavens, comes really close to you. It's insanely beautiful and overwhelming and awe-inspiring. We draw near, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God decides to come close to us. And what Peter, James, and John saw then, and then, of course, saw much clearer later after Jesus had opened the gates of heaven through his sacrifice on the cross and after the Holy Spirit had come come down upon them on Pentecost, that now they occupied the place of the Son in that conversation between Father and Son. They were part of his body now, just as you and I are, part of his mystical body. Now we're the ones who hear the Father say to us, this is my beloved Son, or this is my beloved daughter. We take his place. He was showing them, this is what I want for you. I want to come close to you. 
And I just glimpsed that in little ways through this little song, Sufyan's version of the Transfiguration. I was just being drawn. This voice was calling me on that gave me all sorts of hope that was like, I want to take some big risks for you because I have a feeling there's big rewards. Like this open potential, all of this hope that the future is full of promise and well-being. St. Ignatius of Loyola calls this feeling consolation. The third rule of his rules of discernment, he has 14 rules of discernment of spirits. The third rule, he says, is about consolation. He says this, I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul, through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord, and consequently when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth itself, but only the creator of them all. I call consolation, consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. I hope that you have felt some version of this at some point in your spiritual life. That something, some voice has called you on and that's given you this flame of love in your heart. Not just for created things, but for the creator of them all. That gives you this interior joy, an increase of faith, hope, and love. That's what God uses to call us on into faith. But you might say, I haven't felt it, or I haven't felt it in a really long time. What's the deal with that? Well, two things. One is that we have to put ourselves in a place to be found by it. Like, we can't make God make us feel this way. We can't call the Trinity down. He's got to be the one that decides to come near. It's a gift from God, but we have to be obedient to it. We have to be open to the gift, have hands open to receive the gift. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the mystery of it is that that only the faithful are obedient, but only the obedient have faith. It's this mystery of the cooperation of divine and human freedom that we have to do something for God to do something for us. In other words, we have to be open, cooperate, obedient, in order for God to even give us the gift of faith which will make us more obedient. To put ourselves in a place to be found. Peter, James, and John had to go up the mountain with Jesus. Well, if you're not going up the mountain, if you're not going to pray, if you don't have any space in your life for God to speak to you, then of course you're not going to feel this consolation. But maybe you are doing that. Maybe Lent has been good for you and you've been trying to get up early or making space during your day to pray, to read scripture, to do the rosary or whatever else, in order to make room to kind of have this increase of faith, hope, and love, this consolation of the Holy Spirit, and you haven't felt it. Well, know this. That the church fathers said that the purpose of the transfiguration, why Jesus showed Peter, James, and John this glory, his dazzling white clothes and the voice from heaven, the cloud speaking, Son of man, Son of God, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Why they got to glimpse that was to prepare them for what was coming. His passion, his death, the annihilation of that hope, the feeling that nothing was going to be okay, that the future was not full of promise but full of woe and grief. He knew that that was coming. And so they got to glimpse the glory so that they could hope for glory through the darkness, through the suffering. And this is where St. Paul's admonition can, can help us in this. That he says our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is talking to the Philippians and saying, don't lose hope. Even if you suffer in this life, even if, appear, if it appears that Jesus actually isn't Lord, that the powers of the world are more powerful than him and are oppressing the church or the body of Christ 
or making you lose hope, stand firm because our citizenship is in heaven. He will make your body to be like his in glory. This is why he gives us these glimpses to draw us on forward in faith and obedience to him, to stand firm in that hope that he is drawing near, that the Lord has drawn near, that the triune God is here in the Son, his body, blood, soul, and divinity to transform you into his own body, blood, soul, and divinity so that you can hear with him, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter.